Hey, everybody, and welcome to season two of the All About Everest podcast. And I'm your host, Pauline Reynolds Nuttall. On this podcast, you can get anything and everything about Mount Everest, including interviews, book recommendations, tips, updates, and a whole lot more. So welcome to the spring 2023 Everest climbing season. And here we go. Hey there, and welcome to the All About Everest podcast. And today's episode is a topic that I have talked about before, the 1996 Everest disaster. It was one of the first 10 episodes that I first recorded back in January and February of 2022. And I decided that it would be something fun to kind of go over again. My opinions have changed a little bit. Um, I have a lot more insight. And so I decided that it would just be an interesting topic to go back over. So that is the topic of today's episode. Just some quick housekeeping before I get into the main topic. The first thing is I do have some interviews scheduled, but they're scheduled a little bit far out. Part of it is because it's the end of the summer. There's a lot of stuff that I have to get done. And so I don't have the time to really schedule those interviews. And it's really hard with conflicting schedules and trying to uh, figure out like time zones and things like that. I don't mind getting up at 2 a.m. or even staying up until 2 a.m. to record the podcast. It's just finding the right moment for it because I do work a full-time job throughout the week, which my workflow is kind of changing a little bit. And that's the other reason why I may not have any more interviews until mid-September. The other thing I wanted to bring up was I love that you guys leave reviews. We're about to hit 50,000 downloads, and it's thanks to you guys, the listeners. There's so many of you that follow this podcast, and what I would really love is if you guys would leave me reviews, because it seems that even though I have thousands of followers, the only ones who leave reviews are like the one who left the two-star review because I say mountain, not mountain. And so I would really love it if you guys could go into Apple Podcasts, leave me a great review if that's how you feel. Again, I love that you guys listen every week, about to hit 50,000 downloads, and I'm stoked. It just makes me feel good about continuing to do what I'm doing, and I know that there are so many of you that love it. So thank you for sticking with me for Gosh, it'll be two years in January. Speaking of listeners and reviews, I can't remember where it was left, but there was a review left. I think it was on Apple Podcasts Australia, which you can't see all of the reviews that are left from all over the world. It depends on where you're at. And also a comment that had been made to me directly via Messenger from another listener asking why I don't get more in depth about some of the issues when it comes to Mount Everest. 
what's my opinion on, you know, Western climbers versus the local climbers versus the local companies, the high altitude porters, the Sherpa workers versus the Western mountain guides amongst other things. And also like why I don't talk more about climate change and all, and all of that. I try to keep as objective as possible. I want this to be a platform where people can feel that they're able to talk. And I don't know if I necessarily have an opinion. First of all, I am not there. I am not a mountaineer. I have not climbed in the Himalayas. So I can't tell you without being there if my opinion is true or not. And that's one of the reasons why I bring it up in the interviews. Uh, the issues with climbing, it's why I have people from all over the world on the podcast. Because yes, there are problems. Yes, I have brought it up multiple times that the Sherpa community does not get the recognition that it should. Yes, I've brought it up that there is a divide at times, not all of the time, between Westerners and the local communities. And so if if you follow on a regular basis, you know that I talk about it. Am I super vocal about it? And am I in your face about it? No, because again, I try to be objective, but also I don't feel that my opinion when it comes to that, not that it doesn't matter, but I don't think I have enough experience and done enough research and I am not there in the midst of it. So that's just to justify that. But again, I, it's brought up. If you listen to interviews, if you've been listening to this podcast from the very beginning, all of those things are brought up either by myself or the people that I interview. So I just wanted to throw that out there that again, that's kind of where my stance is. Not trying to be wishy-washy, but I say it how it is and what I think. I, I don't skirt around the issue at all. Any of the issues when it comes to Mount Everest. It's just that there are people who have stronger opinions because they're out there in the Himalayas, in the mountaineering community, and they've climbed Mount Everest whereas I have not. And so I think my opinion's just not as important and as defined. And one last little thing before I get to the rest of the podcast episode. It's been a couple of episodes since I have given a shout out to my mom. I know that she's listening. My mom lives on the other side of the world. And most of the time, she doesn't really remember who I am. However, she listens to this podcast every week, and so this is my way of connecting with her. So, ima ima mod 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 So today's episode is about the 1996 Everest disaster, which at the time was the deadliest day, the deadliest season, and the deadliest year ever on Mount Everest. And most people, even though they may not be part of the mountaineering community, they don't keep track of what goes on in the mountains and in the climbing world. 
most people are aware of the 1996 Everest disaster because it was all over the media when it happened. I remember it very clearly, even though I was a, you know, teenager at the time. And it's kind of stuck. There are so many books written about it, uh, several movies. And you have, you know, the 2015 movie Everest that came out, the 1997 film Into Thin Air that came out based on John Krakauer's book Into Thin Air, and so many more books. And so that's kind of the baseline, I, I guess, for the world's barometer of death and tragedy on Mount Everest. That's how they gauge all of the other years. And you look at 2006, uh, especially with the whole situation with David Sharp. You have the 2014 disaster, the 2015 disaster. You have the high death rate in 2019 with the viral photo of the traffic jam that Nims Day took and it spread across the internet like wildfire. And then this year in 2023, it was the deadliest year on the mountain, not on Everest in general, because that was in 2015 when there was the avalanche at base camp. But 2023 was the, has become the deadliest season on Mount Everest. The fall season is just about to start and, you know, it's, it's a lot less crowded. Um, it's smaller, more intimate groups. And so, unfortunately, that death toll for 2023 on Mount Everest for the whole year, it might increase, but I really hope it doesn't. I just want to remind everybody but that these are my opinions. These are my thoughts. Um, they're not anybody else's and they're strictly my own. I've been thinking a lot about the 1996 Everest disaster lately. A huge part of it is because this year it was the deadliest year, but I also interviewed uh, Guy Cotter, Skip Horner, people from that generation of mountaineering, people who knew Scott Fisher and Rob Hall and the people who died in that disaster. And this year, death has seemed to be more, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but it seems to be more at the forefront of when I talk about Mount Everest, a lot more than last year did. And one of the things that stuck with me during my interview with Skip and Guy talked about it a little bit was that we learn, we, we learn from these disasters. Yes, they are horrible and sad, but what we learn from them, it makes this field and this community much better. And I've been thinking about it and thinking about the lessons that were learned from the 1996 disaster and 
also how ultimately it has made mountaineering much safer. It'll never be ultimately safe, but there were things that were implemented moving forward from that event that I believe have saved lives. They've also made it so that more people are climbing and it's easier to climb Mount Everest because of these lessons learned. But the mountains are there for everybody, so why not? For those of you who are not the most familiar with this incident, the 1996 Everest disaster refers to May 10th and 11th of 1996, which to that point became the deadliest 24-hour period that had ever occurred on Mount Everest, and eight people died. In that spring Everest season, a total of 12 people would die, and for the whole year, there would be 15 people total. In the spring Everest season, there were 10 teams that were climbing. Four of them um, do have importance to some of the things that happened that season. There was the IMAX team that were filming the documentary. There was Mountain Madness, Adventure Consultants, and Climbing on the North Side was the Indo-Tibetan Border Police team. The first fatality in the 1996 spring season was that of Chen Yunnan with the Taiwanese team, and he slipped and he fell on May 9th. Between May 10th and May 11th, that was the deadliest day. Scott Fisher from Mountain Madness died. The fatalities from Adventure Consultants team was Rob Hall, Doug Hansen, Andy Harris, and Yasuko Namba. From the Indo-Tibetan Border Police team, uh, Dorji Morab, Tsawang Paljor, and Tsawang Samanla. Tsawang Paljor has become the most famous body on Mount Everest. He's also known as Green Boots. And for a long time, his body was a landmark. And there's a little overhang, and that was known as Green Boots Cave. Several years ago, and I'm not sure when, his body was removed and can no longer be seen from the main trail. On May 19th, Reinhard Vlasic from Austria, from the Hungarian team, perished. On May 25th of 1996, Bruce Herod perished. And then on June 6th, of 1996, uh, Nawang Tapchi, who was Nepali in climbing with the American team, died. In the fall, on September 25th, there were three fatalities. There was Yves Bouchon with the French team, Lopsang Jangbu with the Nepali team, or with, I'm sorry, he was Nepali with a Japanese team, and Dawa, who was from Nepal and was climbing with the South Korean team. 
If you want more information about the climbers, I did do two episodes last year that are more detailed into their lives and their causes of death. So there are multiple reasons why people die on Mount Everest. And after talking to several mountaineering guides this year, and when I talked to Adrian Bollinger, I realized that when it comes down to these fatalities, they could all be prevented. And the most important thing is the operators. It's these expedition companies that are responsible for the people that climb with them. Nothing else. If someone dies, it's because something went horribly wrong that could have been prevented. And moving forward, it's something that should be learned from. Adrian really got into it and you should listen to that episode because he really talks about how ultimately it is the expedition leader's responsibility and they are the reason if somebody dies. So not that I want to blame anyone or I'm pointing fingers, but ultimately They're the ones that decide what the equipment is. They decide who goes, who stays. They decide, you know, what experience you need to have when you're climbing these mountains. And they're the ones who make the ultimate decisions. In 1996, there were several people that were inexperienced. It should have come down to the expedition leaders realizing that this was not going to work. When you have people that have never climbed any mountains before or do not have any experience in anything over 8,000 meters, they shouldn't be climbing these mountains. But back then, they were just really getting into commercialization and expedition leading. If you had the money, you could go. Before that, if you had the money and the experience, you could go. But then in the late 80s, early 90s, it was a matter of, If you could cobble the money together, it didn't matter what your experience was. You might have the possibility of climbing Mount Everest as long as you could pay the fee. The first death could have been prevented because he was not hooked into fixed ropes. The deaths that occurred on the 10th and the 11th They hit a horrible weather window. They summited Mount Everest too late in the day. They didn't have enough oxygen. The fixed ropes that should have been set all the way to the top, they were not set. And they had issues with communication. Those are all things that could be prevented. When it comes to the fixed ropes, 
And when it comes to safety, things have extremely changed since the 90s. We have the rope fixing team that they make sure that those ropes are set. The Kumbu Icefall, we have the wonderful Icefall doctors that their whole job is to make sure that it is safe going through the Kumbu Icefall. The teams are responsible for making the decisions of should you turn back or not. And the safe turnaround time and should you continue if you're not feeling well. Because of the 1996 disaster, people became more cautious. Well, some teams have become more cautious. In the last 10 years, there are teams out there that, you know, you pay the expedition leader. You may not have to have experience. They claim they can get you to the top. And like this last year, people were abandoned by their expeditions on the mountain and left to die with absolutely no accountability. But back in 1996, that wasn't the problem. It was they were still trying to figure it out and it was kind of a domino effect. One of the other controversial deaths that year that not very many people talk about it and it kind of annoys me was the death of Bruce Herod. He was with the South African team and that whole story is crazy. They had an expedition leader who put together a South African team. These people had no experience. They're from Africa. It's a hot climate. Um, and the leader didn't really have experience either. Bruce Herod, if he had had a better expedition leader and an experienced team, I truly believe he would not have died. It is that whole story is full of deceit. It's full of lies and manipulation. And that team should never have set foot on the mountain. It was, in my opinion, Ian Woodall was essentially trying to gain notoriety and become a celebrity and tried to fund his own dream by taking advantage of other people. Bruce Herod did not need to die. And that whole thing should be an example of if you're paying someone to help you get you to help get you to the top, they should have enough experience and enough education to either help you get to the top or make sure that you stay safe by not climbing. 
So when people say I don't have an opinion, I surely do, especially when it comes to the South African team that year. A lot of things have been learned since then, and it's great that it's been turned into a learning experience. It's sad that all of those people died, but it has helped so many people moving forward become safer and able to take care of their clients. It's not that way across the board, which is very unfortunate, but it should be. Some of the books, if you're interested in reading any of the books about the 1996 Everest disaster, uh, there's Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, The Climb by Anatoly Bukhreev, A Day to Die For by Graham Radliff, Left for Dead by Beck Weathers, After the Wind by Lou Kosicki, I never say his name right, Climbing High by Lena Gamalgara, Gamalgard, Everest Free to Decide by Kathy O'Dowd and Ian Woodall, and The Other Side of Everest by Matt Dickinson. I know that there's a couple more books that I'm missing because quite a few were written that season. Um, you can leave me a message in the comments and I can add it to the list. But they're all really good. In fact, I am rereading The Climb by Anatoly because his... Uh, how he presented himself during the whole 1996 expedition, there was a lot of backlash towards him because of how he didn't want to use oxygen. He may, may or may not have been helpful. He may or may not have chosen not to help anyone or even try to help anyone. There's so many different perspectives. And when it comes to something like this, you know, when you have at least eight books written by people who were there, right? Because again, there were 10 teams, 98 people summited that year in 1996. And all of those people have different perspectives. They all saw things a little bit differently. It's like with the death of Andy Harris. There are several different accounts of what happened. And to this day, no one really knows. He disappeared. Did he fall? Did he sit down and never move again? Was it altitude sickness? Was it exposure? But there were multiple accounts. And even John Krakauer in his book initially, he said one thing and then he went back later and corrected it because there were very different accounts. So I highly encourage you if you're someone who reads to really, if you want to have an opinion on this or if you really want to know what happened, read as much as you can. Explore this as much as you can because every book is a little bit different about what happened 
and what occurred during the 1996 season. And I, I encourage you to form your own opinion. Even though I'm not getting into too much detail about these climbers and their lives, there were a couple of things I wanted to mention in general about those who died and those who lived. Yasuko Namba, who perished that year, she became the second Japanese woman to complete the Seven Summits, which is the highest mountain from each continent. And Everest was the last one that she needed to achieve that accomplishment. Andy Harris, uh, he was a postman. Uh, there was a group of kids um, at his local school that had helped uh, collect money so that he could climb and he perished. John Krakauer, when people think about the 1996 Everest disaster, they often think about John Krakauer, who is a reporter. And at the time, he was working for Outside Magazine. I believe it was Outside Online. If I need to, I can make a correction later. And he later wrote about it. Um, Beck Weathers. He lost both of his hands and his face to frostbite. He was left for dead. And that is literally the title of his book. Um, he was left with Yasuko. And they thought he was just too far gone to help him. And yet he survived. Scott Fisher, the owner of Mountain Madness, who was just known for his vitality and his love of life. And of course, you have Rob Hall, who was the owner of Mountain Madness. Um, he'd lost his business partner, I think it was less than a year prior, to a mountaineering incident. And he died while helping Doug Hansen down the mountain. These people were people. They had people that loved them. They had lives outside of climbing Mount Everest and the mountaineering community. And since the death of Noel Hanna this year, I've realized how much those deaths have a ripple effect. That they kind of spread out. And it starts with those in the immediate vicinity, and then it just kind of spiders out like a web. And the best example of that in this case is the death of Rob Hall, because it affected so many people in the mountaineering community. So many people knew him, and he was maybe not the first person to do commercial expeditions, but he was one of the leaders that got it going. And so I want to remember these people as much as possible. And it is important 
to remember them. And as Skip said, you know, we need to remember them. We need to remember what happened and we need to learn from it. So as horrible as it is, we need to learn from these incidences so that it can be prevented before or be prevented again. And I totally agree with it. I think after all of the interviews I've done the last two years, I would say 99% of these injuries and deaths that happen could be stopped. They could absolutely be prevented. Could they have been prevented in 1996? Possibly, but because commercial mountaineering was still kind of new and the expeditions were still trying to figure out the best ways to make people safe. I don't know if it could have been prevented at that time. You also have that blizzard that they knew bad weather was coming in. I don't think anyone realized how bad it would be. It was like this year, one of the biggest things on Mount Everest this year in the 2023 season was the frigid cold temperatures that caused so many people to get frostbite. I think it was negative 40, negative 45. And there were a lot of people who commented on it because it's abnormal. So for the most part, I think some of those deaths could have been prevented, but with that weather, it, it just couldn't have happened. And that is it for today's episode. I will include a list of all of these books specifically for the 1996 Everest disaster. I'll throw that together this weekend and include it in the show notes. I have no idea what next week's topic is going to be. I will tell you it's very likely won't be an interview. And a huge thank you again to all of you fabulous listeners because this week I hit 50,000 downloads. And that's with taking that six-month hiatus last year. Or maybe it was more like seven or eight. Um but you guys are fabulous. You are wonderful. If there is a specific topic that you want me to cover, if there's someone that you want me to reach out to, to get on the pod, go ahead and let me know. You can leave me a message on Spotify, social media, or you can email me. I always list my email in the, in the uh, podcast description Everybody have a good rest of your week and climb your own climb. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the All About Everest podcast. We would love it if you would rate, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find us on social media at All About Everest podcast or at Mama Bear Outdoors. You can support our podcast 
by subscribing to our Patreon or by buying us a coffee. Until next time.